this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the fiscal, financial, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about personal financial wellness for veterinarians with Dr. Marsha Heimke. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. Dr. Marshall Heinke is a 1979 graduate of The Ohio State University. She was a full-time mixed animal practitioner for 14 years with special interest in companion animals and horses before she turned her attention to helping veterinarians in business. Dr. Heinke is an enrolled agent with the IRS, a certified public accountant, and a certified veterinary practice manager. She's the author of Practice Made Perfect, a complete guide to veterinary practice management which she's currently working on a new edition for. So we'll have to make sure and include that uh, link to it in the article on EquiManage. But thank you, Dr. Heinke, for joining us today. And this is this is a difficult topic to talk about. It is, Kim, and, and thank you for having me. And thank you to DECRA and thank you to all of the listeners that are taking the time uh, to tune in today. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, Kim, is, is we discussed this uh, a few weeks ago, was that um, at least in recent history, it seems like each crisis our economy has experienced is really imparting huge economic inequities. And uh, of course, veterinary practitioners are not the only ones that are feeling this. I think uh, certainly the younger generation has been impacted greatly, but I think back onto the mortgage crisis and how that impacted equine veterinarians as many horse owners lost their houses and, and had to relinquish horses. We had a huge uh, decimation of the horse population. And then, and then we look at the most current crisis to me, which is the pandemic, which has also created large economic uh, changes and, and seems to be the only, only the most recent example of some of the things that we don't have control over impacting our lives at all levels. Um, you know, what, with what's going on right now, I was thinking about how many, and, and this is true in my own workplace, and I know for many of my veterinary colleagues, it's, it's the same issue, is that women who seem to be making very significant gains have been set back as, as uh, home uh, loved ones and caretaking became a very large challenge in the face of uh, larger business shutdowns like, for example, childcare. And so when you start looking at some of the financial data points that are out there, and there's, you know, just hundreds of surveys that are on this, uh, it just speaks to some of the problems that we have, not only in the veterinary pre uh, profession, but uh, ac across all professions and all jobs. Uh, right now, I'm just going to throw out a couple stats. Um, one in four women, 25% uh, hold student loan debt today compared with just 15% of, of men. Um, this is from a 2020 BlackRock survey. Uh, graduation rates haven't translated into income parity. We know that uh, salary differences have been a, a, have been a, a challenge. But um, in this particular survey, talked about 2020, the average gender gap for women was 82 cents per dollar and by man. At household levels, you know, when we start talking about personal financial um, planning and well-being, um, women uh, are less likely to save regularly in those personal accounts and have lower balances on average uh, than their male counterparts. Uh, which are used to cover oftentimes emergency household expenses. 
So no surprise in this particular survey, and I've, I've I've had others that I've seen that have similar type results. It says almost half of women say that they as individuals could not easily afford a $400 emergency expense compared to 35% of men. So there's there's definitely a problem with you know populations of, of people not being able to afford to do things and have these huge stresses that are on their lives. And we, saw, we also continue to have gender discrepancies. And of course, being a female that's been around the, the horse industry in general for 40 plus years, you know, it, it's kind of disheartening when you look at it that our younger generation really isn't doing a whole lot better than we did 40 years ago. Yeah, I, I think so too, Kim. And, you know, one of my interests has been, you know, what what can we control? I, I was really fortunate, you know, to, to, to be raised where I was raised, um, to be born when I was born, where there was more understanding of, of, of feminist values, recognition of feminist values, and, and, and more of a push towards equality. I was lucky to be born white. Uh, you know, we start talking about some of the discriminatory issues. But it, you know, it, 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 one of the things that has always resonated with me is the choices that we have to make as individuals is that, you know, there are certain circumstances that we're born into that we can't change, but we also have choices that we can make as we go through our lives. And that was one of the reasons I, I kind of shifted over to the financial and the economic side of business from being an actual veterinary practitioner you know, working on animals was an interest in having some control of my future and being able to plan for my retirement and be able to take care of my loved ones. And so one of the most, I think, important sessions that I ever attended was my second year out of school. And it was uh, a session that was led at the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association Conference by Mr. Don Dooley. Don was not a veterinarian, but he was one of the, he's often thought of as, as the founder of the 24-hour veterinary facility. Um, he worked out in California, but he gave, Don gave in an impassioned um, um, view, a full, a full day on the choices that we have to make as individuals. And it kind of reset my expectations about what I wanted as an individual, what I wanted for my career as a veterinarian, that I did not have to be a victim to my circumstances, that, um, you know, some of the things that I think about now is like, if, if, if you resent having an emergency call in the middle of the night, is it, is it possible that you can't change, that you can change some things that make it more palatable so that you stay engaged with your work? So, you know, if it's somebody that, that stiffed you for a bill in the past, you, you have a choice um, within some of the veterinary profession guidelines to choose not to work for that individual. Um, you have a choice about what you charge for your time so that you re you don't resent the fact that you ha you lost a couple hours in the middle of the night. Um, there, there are a lot of different things that we do have control over. And I think this thought about choice in managing our financial matters empowers people to maybe reduce some of the stress that lessens our well-being as, as workers. Um, be it an equine practitioner or, or whatever it is. So um, I know, Kim, you you had talked about, you know, some of the stuff that's coming from the AVMA economic studies, but there's a lot of other ones too that reiterate this idea that one of the things that leads to professional burnout 
across all professions is financial stressors. So if we can manage our financial stressors and develop more financial wellness through the choices we make, then we increase the probability that veterinarians will be longer lived in their chosen work. And I think that's really important for veterinarians of, of all stripes to be thinking about. So practice owners, you're, you're really called to provide tools and resources uh, to help all of your employees, veterinarians, technicians, receptionists, the, this whole practice family to have some of the tools and the knowledge that will help reduce the stress in their life. And this is, you know, it's, it's one thing to pay people, but it's also another to provide some level of education because you do have contact with these individuals every day to um, show them the choices that they can make. So, you know, if you, if you offer a retirement plan to provide the training and somewhat of a recurrent refreshment about um, how to save for retirement with pre-tax dollars, for example. So there's a lot of different things I think that we could do that would reduce some of the financial stress that, that, um, that we know is leading to uh, burnout and probably premature departure from veterinary medicine uh, that could be otherwise avoided. Yeah, and, and what you and I talked about before we started recording the podcast is, you know, the AVMA, some of the statistics that have come out of there for our equine industry is that there's only about 40 vet students graduating each year with an equine practice uh, focus. And with the first five years of equine practice, about 50% of those veterinarians are leaving for either small animal or other jobs. And the other end that we talked about was the fact that we are aging out of our equine veterinarians. About 60 equine veterinarians are retiring each year. So we are losing a lot of veterinarians. And as you and I had talked about, the lack of being able to hire someone to come in and help you means you're having to work even more and even longer, which adds again to the stress and the burnout and comes to premature leaving of the industry. So how on the financial side can we, I mean, you've talked about some, some things, but how can a veterinarian actually sit down? What's the starting point to look at financial wellness? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's, a, it's a great question, Kim. Let's get into some practicalities and some ideas. And I thought, yeah, I mentioned that I had found a, another good survey and it kind of bullet pointed out some of the things that I hear from my millennial employees um, that are, are issues to address. So let's, let's talk about them. And this was from a Bank of America. And of course, Bank of America has been one of the great financial resources for veterinarians who are looking to buy into practices equip their practices, acquire ownership interests, this sort of thing. So um, I was I was glad to find the survey because, you know, one of the things I think is a choice is that it's always a good choice to try to become an owner in a veterinary practice because you can, mm -hmm. uh, you can elevate your lifetime earnings working in something that you are called to do. And, and then, you know, let's talk a little bit about, okay, well, how do we reduce some of the financial stressors that may contribute to burnout and make people a little bit happier in what they chose to do. So um, from the survey, uh, which is called the 2020 
Better Money Habits Millennial Report, uh, these were some of the top reasons for financial stress um, among respondents. 44% said not saving enough. 38% said planning and saving for retirement. 32% said not making high enough salary. 26% said living beyond their means. 25% said credit card debt. 20% said saving for a child's education. And I, I just want to add to that too is, you know, I kind of surveyed my, my worker population here and um, because I've got a number of millennials and, and one just mentioned, you know, being a sandwich generation person, having to also provide for elder care while having uh, children that you're raising as part of the sandwich generation is, is really a stressful thing and, and trying to figure out how to do that. And then the last bullet was not being able to afford a home and 20% of respondents said that. So the first thing I would say in terms of choices, and you know, it's kind of the old bromide, but the best time to plant a tree is today. So for any of our listeners, I would say, just get started today. You know, it's, it's great to be worrying about stuff, but do something today. Um, you know, make a decision that you're going to start saving a more. You know, if, if if not saving enough is something that's stressing you out, then then start to get a plan. So let's just talk about maybe some guidelines. Um, and and I found another great article, and I thought these were really good. So I'm just going to because they're kind of rules of thumb, and I'm always one that's against rule of thumb. I think people should look at their own individual situation. But you know, rules of thumb have some bearing in terms of like, well, let's get started somewhere. If we're going to plant that right. tree, let's let's pick up a shovel and dig at least one hole. Right. Um, so. Uh, these were great points. In in one's 20s, save 25% of your pay. And what that would mean is that $100,000 salary, for example, would translate into saving $25,000. Now, when I say 25%, that's also before tax. And Kim, I had wanted to talk about this a little later, but I'm just going to throw this in here right now is one of the things to develop financial literacy is to understand that as income earners in North America, we need to be thinking about after tax or take home pay because we have a certain amount of legal withholdings that our employer is going to make from our wages as they're paid out. And we have to be mentally prepared for that. Um, and, and know what that is. So in one's 20s, rule of thumb, save 25% on what we call gross pay, which is before tax pay. Um, and then by age 30, uh, aim to have the equivalent of one year's salary saved. So that's kind of a, a good goal. By age 35, have twice your annual sal salary saved. By age 40, have three times saved. By age 45, four times saved. By age 50, five times. By 55, six times. By age 60, seven times. And by age 65, eight times. And that was from an Intuit article by Kimmy Green. So you can find that online, K-I-M-M-I-E, Green. Um, which was just kind of some of these rules of thumb. And then Fidelity Investments also um, said have 10 times, you know, in, the, in my last thing, I just said eight times 
your your salary at age 65. Fidelity Investments recommends 10 times your final salary if you want to retire by age 67. So, you know, kind of within that ballpark of, of where you want to be. So I'm not savings enough. It's just kind of think about what it is. Now, I'm also going to mention is that when you think about savings, it's going to be a mix of pre-tax, post-tax vehicles. And, you know, when we think about pre-tax vehicles, if, if your employer doesn't offer much, you need to start thinking at least to start socking away money in an individual retirement account. If your employer offers uh, various uh, uh, retirement options, then you want to maximize those and, exp and explore those. And, and we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, but be besides saving monies, you know, setting that in your 20s, setting aside 25%, for savings that also includes debt repayment. So if you're paying down student debt and you know that's consumed 10% of your gross salary, then you're looking at 15% that you're putting into some sort of savings. So debt repayment is is always good to look at and that's one of the, you know one of the little tips that I can give people is that when you when you look at planning that tree today Managing debt is a big thing. So look across all the debt that you have, be it credit card debt, mortgage debt, whatever it is. Know what it is and what it's costing you. So that's the interest rate that's that's on it. And as you think about trying to save, what you want to do is start investing in the pay down of that debt by choosing the highest interest rate vehicles first. So pick that credit card that you're not getting paid off each time at each month at each statement uh, that's charging you 18% per annum. Get that one paid off first if that's the highest interest rate. So what you want to do is focus on the debt that you're already carrying, get real about it, and understand that that's the best investment you can make. Because rather than putting like money right now into a savings account that's going to earn you less than a tenth of a percent of interest, be putting it into that credit card debt pay down, which is paying basically 18% interest. That's right. a huge return on your money. So you want to think about debt as being a savings account that you've, you know, you've leveraged yourself for a reason. Now you want to optimize how you pay that down and view it as being like a savings account, because if you can get rid of that, you now are able to put more money into some other things that are actually going to build capital for you over time. Right, and that's uh, that, those are some great numbers and some great points. And you probably have scared some people right now who are maybe in their late twenties and early thirties, going, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm nowhere near that. How how do I do that? I'm barely paying my student loan and and paying for my truck and paying for, you know, if you're a private practice owner or if you're an associate, you know, and then you're probably having children, thinking about having children, and actually might." want to have a life. So how do you not be scared if you haven't started? Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clodronate Injection, Orthocon Vet IRAP 10 and 60, Osteocon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Ficox EQ Joint Supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta 
Diaperone Injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I guess what I can do is, is kind of paint a rosy picture, Kip, is that what I do know, having, having been um, in the veterinary profession for more than 40 years now, is that um, veterinarians as a whole do very well. When you look across society, you know, particularly when I look at uh, well, veterinarians of all, all types, but veterinary practice owners is that, you know, as they've stayed attentive to taking care of their clients and um, uh, gaining some business literacy and financial literacy that they have done very well financially over time. So I don't want to paint a dismal picture that it is very, very possible to um, make a very good living in, in veterinary medicine. But it also means making some choices about being available, being engaged, doing the work, staying, staying up on things, um, any of the professions, when you, when you sign up to be in them, be they accounting, being a doctor of veterinary medicine, uh, being they be a physician, be a dentist, you're called to lifetime learning. It never goes away. So staying up with things, being current, keeps you energized and excited, but it also then increases your income generating ability and in of itself is a way to help prevent burnout. So staying engaged, being available is 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 one way to make this happen and and i understand being afraid but uh focusing on what you can control and understanding that you do have some choices over what you do is really important and you mentioned a couple of things that i think are, are important to talk about is that um, nothing is guaranteed in life in that we all have choices we all have things that open up in front of us so we need to make intelligent decisions about what they what they are and understand what they mean when we make those decisions so some of the decisions that all of us are called to make is like where are we going to live uh, what is the cost of living in that area who who is going to be our life partner? Who are we going to be with? Are we going to combine our financial abilities and income generation to be able to raise a family? Um, at what point do any of us decide that we're going to have children? What is the cost of that? What is the time of that? When are we going to engage in that? Um, time is a zero-sum game, so we have to make decisions about where we, we, we um, make those decisions. Uh, some of the stuff we can't decide about, if we have parents that are depending on us, we're going to have to figure out, you know, what does that mean in terms of the overall um, choices that we, we, we make as we fulfill our responsibilities. So there, there's, there's a lot of different choices each of us have to make, and um, all of those have some sort of monetary or financial outcomes, you know, I, I hate to be so harsh in saying that, but ultimately at the end of the day, we have to know that, that any choice that we make, there's a financial cost to it. So um, I think, you know, in the, in, the, in the last decade or so, we've seen that a lot of people do tend to live beyond their means. And maybe this has been a problem that's always been out there. And there are many that think that, and I'm one of those, that the internet and social media are contributing to that. Um, 
regular use of social media. Uh, we're bombarded with advertising more than we ever have been. Um, any of the online sales uh, venues, Amazon, not in the least of those, but there's any number of other ones, allow us to instantaneously charge stuff to our credit cards that we don't necessarily need. So it's really important to be aware that, you know, a, a lot of use of the internet not only can decrease your productivity as an individual, as, a, as, as, as anybody that's trying to make an income, but um, it can also cause you to spend more money than you really should be, which is going to defeat your long-term financial goals. So be aware of that. Just knowing that may be able to help you curate what you're looking at and reduce that time. Um, uh, I know it's a big thing, but it's 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 a large thing that controls what happens to us financially. Right. And, you know, for those veterinarians out there who say, OK, I, I just want to treat horses, then they need to find someone like you. They need they need to find a financial planner, someone who can help them walk through what the realities are and help them out. But how do you find someone like that? How can a veterinarian find it? And what are some of the things that they should expect when they're trying to do some of this financial planning? If somebody's sitting across the desk from them and saying, you need to quit doing your binge buying on your beer Fridays or whatever <laughs> it is. Well, Kim, thanks. Thanks for the plug. But there are still some things that, you know, I I, I want people to, to, to think about because, you know, when I'm, I'm like most veterinarians and people that have heard me speak know this about me is that. I, I only wanted to be a veterinarian from the time I was about five years old. You know, that was my life plan right there. Um, and, and here I am, you know, I've got a, a, a license to do financial stuff. But the reason, the reason for, for me bringing this up is that there are things I wish that I had done much earlier on that everybody can do. And one thing is, you know, get some basic financial literacy before you start looking for an advisor you're smart. If you're a doctor of veterinary medicine, you've already shown that you can do a lot of different things and you've got a good baseline knowledge and all sorts of things. And one of the things I recommend for anybody that'll listen to me is, you know, get some basic financial understanding. If you are fortunate enough to have a high school that pushed you in the direction of learning the basic principles of accounting and personal financial management and budgeting, great, good on you. That is a that is an incredible start that I didn't have that I wish that I had. If you don't have that, seek it out. You know, even if you're not all the way through veterinary school yet, if you can find uh, principles of accounting course that you can take um, at college, if you can sign up for something through YouTube, um, if you are a first year or second year graduate, do what I did, go to local community college and pick up a basics of accounting. But anybody that is looking to take care of their families and, and be uh, better, in a better place financially, should have some basic understanding of the language of business, which is accounting and what that means, which will also incorporate some things on, on budgeting. 
Um, and then and then once you have that knowledge is, you know, having a personal budget, knowing what your after tax income is going to be and then then scoping out, you know, what are the primary considerations that you have to do on student debt management on housing, which is another huge one. And then um, thinking about what are the other elements that you need to be able to control for, including including savings. But until you have that basic knowledge, um, I, you know, you can get advisors and all that, but so much of this is the day-to-day -day decisions that people make, and the more knowledge they have about what underlies financial literacy, the better, and that's a good place to start. There are tons of YouTube courses that you can take just to dip your toe in the water. Um, I also wanted to mention, Kim, that um, there is a um, uh, an internet uh, a website that I really like that's called Investopedia. It's got basics, but it also has a lot on all sorts of things on retirement planning, on cyber currency, you name it, Investopedia has it. So it's kind of a neat go-to place. It's like it's like the financial arm of Wikipedia, if you will. Oh, so good. those are some things to know. And then to your question about, you know, advisors, um, there, there's, there's different types of financial advisors, but I think, you know, having somebody that can just help you with uh, tax return preparation is probably a good idea. Our tax laws have become so convoluted and complex that unless you have a very simple tax return that, that includes nothing more than a W-2 for wages that you earn from employer, um, you're probably going to become more complex over time and you're going to want to develop a relationship with um, a certified public accountant or somebody that um, has the, the credentials to do tax preparation. And certainly if you're a business owner, um, try to find somebody that has some knowledge of veterinary medicine and, you know, internet searches do that. There's plenty of people that have developed a niche in veterinary uh, practice support. And then the other thing to think about is a personal financial planner or advisor, um, which a CPA can oftentimes get you started, but there are CPAs that have additional personal financial planning credentials that are very useful for somebody that's got a more complex life that involves a lot of investments and, and developing strategies for planning for retirement. And that's a, a great point to talk about the using your uh, finding a good CPA who knows about veterinary practice that that can make a big difference in where their uh, interests have lied in the law and, and actually helping you do a better job. But I'm going to touch on something that nobody likes to think about. But I I think anyone I have had a will and tax and death prep <laughs> since I was 25 years old and it. It shocks me when I talk to some people who are my age now, which is early 60s, and they don't even have a will. So how how early should you start on planning for your own demise and what will become of your assets and your liabilities? <laughs> well, Kim, you know, th thank you for that. Um, it's 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 kind of a it, it's kind of a downer subject, but the reality is we know this, but. We never really like to think it applies to us. We, we are all marching towards the same final yes, we uh, are. destiny. And um, so, you know, it, it, taking care of some of the elements of um, good planning uh, to take care of our loved ones is really important and to encourage our colleagues and our friends to do the same because it, 
there, there are things that will make a difference in those who survive us in terms of their financial uh, stability. And particularly if you have children, you have brothers and sisters that are maybe not well off, other relatives, it's really important to do some death planning. And the very basic you already mentioned and that should be done early on is that you have a will um, and, and that you, you get a will in place. And then ideally, as you move forward, you do some more uh, in-depth estate planning, particularly as your finances become more complex and you have retirement savings that are in say a 401k or you have IRAs or you have Roth IRAs, all of these have different tax implications. And of course, for, for those listeners that have, that have been doing this for a while, uh, there's some thought that you, you may wanna have a um, life trust or a revocable trust um, established that helps uh, pr uh, protect your estate when you pass from probate which opens it up to public scrutiny and, and may provide um, some real benefits in terms of planning how you can um, uh, mitigate some of the estate taxation that will occur. Um, and I think a big part of this too, Kim, is that, you know, get, getting a will is one thing, but also thinking about life insurance. You know, if you, you have children and something happens to you, how are they going to be taken care of? And life insurance is part of that. We think about life insurance for a lot of different things, but life insurance, if, if you're a parent and, and of course, if you do have, if you are carrying debt is to provide for those that will, um, um, those that will, will survive you. So uh, it's important to consider that. And, you know, I advise veterinarians too, is that if you are um, thinking about ownership and maybe even if you're not, but early on in our careers, a lot of life insurance uh, people will propose that we buy term insurance, which provides coverage for a, a period of time, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years are typical. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that the younger you are, the cheaper insurance is. So if you foresee that you're, you are going towards practice ownership and you're probably going to want to have insurance on yourself because of that or because you're looking to finance buying into a practice and, and the bank is going to consider all the things you have, including whether you are carrying insurance. Um, uh, the thing you want to do when you when you look at insurance is to understand when you buy it today, it's the cheapest it's ever going to be for you. Right. So getting geared into a policy that goes as long as you can buy is probably a good bet in terms of an investment. So be thinking about that rather than buying a 10-year policy that you're going to have to renew or shop for a new policy in 10 years, be thinking about buying the biggest policy you can right now that's going to meet your foreseen needs out for 30 years. Um, that often is, is a good buy. But in, in insurance, life insurance is really important, particularly when you're uh, married and particularly when, especially especially when you have children and, and there's a question of how they will be taken care of. And there's also a, a good point, whether you're a, a young parent or a grandparent, is that there are full life policies that you can buy as soon as your child or grandchild has been born. The rates are extremely low and they will mature at when the child is about 18 years old and continue. 
So they can borrow against it for college, they can cash it out if they need to, or they at least have that much life insurance for the rest of their life because it's a full life policy. That's a really good piece of advice, Kim. And, and that's where finding, you know, finding somebody that, you know, this personal financial planners are really great for these sort of things is looking at your whole uh, personal situation, who is important to you, who do you, who are you concerned about being able to take care of in the event that something was to happen to you. Um, if something was to happen to your spouse or your life partner, uh, what would that mean? I mean, remember years ago is just um, being kind of tuned into the idea that, you know, as a parent, you, you never want to survive your children. But what happens if you have a child that that uh, is unfortunately dies before you do? Um, will will you uh, or and or your partner be able to continue to work during that period of grief. And so, you know, insurance to some extent helps protect you financially during those periods when you're not able to work. Um, there's been some that say that, you know, you may even want to consider having life insurance on a child just from the standpoint of being able to protect yourself in the event that child dies. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I, I think that is a great point, but again, I think it all goes back to what you said. The younger and healthier you are, the cheaper your insurance rates. So as much insurance as you can afford at a young age will continue you on. <clears throat> yeah, that probably brings up the other insurance we should just touch on, uh, Kim, is, is disability insurance. Is that, you know, for whatever reason, you do get hurt and that you that you do have to pull on disability for some period of time um, is that in the land of equine veterinary medicine you know most people i know they get get hurt a little bit keep on working um, veterinarians seem to be pretty tough individuals mm -hmm. but the reality is when you're working on large animals you can get hurt pretty badly and so the thing to know about disability insurance is you look at the uh, the buffet of items that your employer might be offering you as part of employment, disability insurance is often one of those. And to keep in mind that when your employer subsidizes the cost of the premiums for you as an employee and doesn't pass that cost on to you, any proceeds that you would receive in the event that you have to file for disability and a claim um, is allowed will be with after payroll tax dollars versus if you as the employee pay the premium yourself for disability then all of the with after tax dollars then all of the proceeds are tax free so it's an important decision i think most most veterinarians at some point or another have to make and particularly if you're a large animal veterinarian working on um, an animal that can do as much damage as a bad horse can do um, the, the thought of paying for disability premiums personally with after-tax dollars is not a bad decision at all. So um, just to touch on that, each person is different, but I just want to throw that out there. A lot of people aren't aware. Well, we have, we've covered a lot today about personal financial wellness for veterinarians. Is there anything else that you had wanted to make sure we touched on? Uh... Probably that's a good place maybe to end. I mean, there's so much that we, we well, there's one more thing because I just touched on it, Kim, and then maybe we can finish with this because there, this, as you once said to me, we, we could probably talk about 
<laughs> financial literacy and financial soundness, financial wellness and um, uh, personal wellness as it evolves from not having the stress of being in bad financial situations for weeks. Right. But, um, you know, most of us start out in our work lives working for somebody. And employers offer all sorts of different packages in terms of compensation and benefits. I think all of us are called to be we employers or employees, and usually we're both. If we're an employer, we're probably also an employee of, our, of the company that we are in ownership of. But um, we want to be thinking about what are all the vehicles that we can use to mitigate taxes and put them off into the future as much as possible so that we can um, optimize our savings. So when you look at the benefits that are offered with any, within any employment situation, they evolve over time, they're changing. Right now, it's such an competitive labor market that uh, veterinary practice employers are offering more and more very nice packages and offering benefits that are very, very valuable to their employees. So some of the things that you want to look at, you want to be very well schooled in everything that's offered, and then you want to really optimize what's best for your personal situation. So many times there's what are called cafeteria plans, which means that you can select among a variety of different benefits that the employer offers, like group term life insurance, disability insurance, uh, health insurance, um, um, different retirement savings things. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things that could be put into these plans. So what you want to do is select what is most important to you and what most meaningful for you and decide, you know, do I want to have actual taxable compensation and select these particular benefits or am I going to pick out more benefits that I won't necessarily use and have less taxable compensation. So I would really challenge people to think about what they want when you've got a selection of things and they are negotiable. And then what the things that you do pick, really maximize them to the extent you can. So for example, many employers now, um, as we've kind of evolved in the healthcare market, are still offering group health plans. And so the health insurance that's offering, a lot of times there may be two or three different products that are offered. If, if you're fortunate enough to have an employer that offers a high deductible health care plan, an HDHP, and has a health savings account attached to it that the employer is contributing to on behalf of the employee, as well as the employee being able to make contributions to the health savings account, what is called an HSA, that is an extremely valuable benefit. HSAs are one of the best ways to save pre-tax money for the long term and um, have that contribute to your retirement. So probably a lot more than we want to get in right now, but be looking for employers that have that option of a health savings account, and particularly if the employer is uh, doing a health savings account match and is contributing to it. Uh, the other things to be looking for are things like a simple plan, which would be one of your retirement plans. That's a savings instead of match plan for employees. Uh, many veterinary practices offer these, and typically the employer will match um, up to 3% of the employee's wages um, as long as the employee is contributing to it. So if the employer's putting in 3%, you want to put in 3% for a total of really 6% that you're getting. Right. 
and then um, there's SEPs. And of course, if you're, you, you know, the next step up from the simples and the SEPs are the 401ks. And then there are several varieties, flavors of 401ks. Uh, the 401ks, the employer has different options as to what they will match as to what you put in. Again, you really want to understand what the employer plan looks like. And then many of the 401ks, including the one that the AVMA just introduced this year and some veterinary practices are getting into is this multi-employer plan, 401k plan uh, with investments through Transamerica. Um, we actually put our employees into this plan and I'm really happy with it so far. This is our first year in it, but it also offers an option to put in a profit sharing contribution. The employer can do a profit sharing part to this. So it's not only the 401k, there's also a profit sharing component that allows the, the employee to gain even more um, in terms of, uh, of money being socked away for their retirement, and the employer is able to get a deduction for those amounts that are put in for the employees. So be really looking at the benefits that are offered, decide what's important to you. Um, the other one that I really like is what's called a health reimbursement arrangement. There's a lot of different flavors of these, but basically, um, at, the, at the very vanilla type stage, it's like I as an employee can be reimbursed for up to X number of dollars per month of qualified health care expenses that I had to pay out of pocket and the employer will pay me back for those non-taxable event. I turn in my receipts, the employer pays for them, the employer gets the deduction. And so health reimbursement accounts are a very good supplemental account to a health plan for, for health insurance and to the health savings accounts. And there's different ways that those have to be set up. There's special rules that have to be done, but the, that is also a very valuable benefit that I wanted people to be aware of. Sometimes people look for um, eye care and dental insurance and a lot of times those don't provide a lot of good benefits, so you want to look at those. Um, we did very carefully before we went with the health reimbursement arrangements because we felt that we could reimburse for vision and dental care and provide much more of what the employees needed as compared to paying premiums to a group dental plan. So something employers might want to look at too as an alternative to just paying premiums for vision and dental if you can do a health reimbursement arrangement um, it might be a better deal that that y'all want to look at. So I think that's a good place maybe to end is just talking about how to how to build wealth over time just using what your employer offers. Well, and and I certainly do appreciate I always learn something personally every time you and I get together, Dr. Heinke. So I really appreciate it. And we want to thank our audience uh, for joining us today on this Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decra Veterinary Products, for allowing us to bring this information to you. We invite you to listen to previous episodes of the Business of Practice podcast. And you can also send me any questions or suggestions to Kay Brown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.